Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to the Groovy Podcast. My name is Ken Cousin. I'm podcasting from Marlboro, Connecticut, and we have as a guest here. I'm Ryan Vandewer from Round Rock, Texas. I believe that I actually got that right in the show notes, believe it or not. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I'm impressed. I, yeah, well, you Basically can probably, awesome. well, you could probably thank Google for that anyway. Wow. Yeah, because that's how I just Googled you and it came up with lives in Round Rock, Texas. It had your wrong company, by the way, but it did have the, the right uh, city. Whoops. Um, Round Rock, that's, you've got a, a baseball team there, right? Minor League baseball team? We do. Uh, the Round Rock Express, uh, and they're a feeder team for uh, the, the Major League team. Um, and they also come and practice here. But it's also it's like a, a mile or two from my house, actually. So I get to watch the fireworks in my backyard every Friday. Wow. I, I've actually been to that stadium. Uh, years ago, uh, I was teaching a class in the Austin area. And whenever I'm traveling during baseball season, I try to visit a minor league park in the area if it's possible. And that was the one. Unfortunately, it was, oh my goodness, a thousand degrees out. It was really hot. <laughs> it gets pretty hot there, obviously outdoors. And in, in August or someplace like that, it will be, be, I feel like you're on the surface of the sun. Yeah, I don't remember there being any shade at all either, too. Yeah, so that was, really isn't. It's pretty yeah. brutal. Uh, I should mention for those who are wondering that um, Baruch Sadagurski just decided to blow us off. He just doesn't like us anymore, I think. I think he's programming Kotlin or something. Uh, that could be it, too. He could be you know totally and completely dedicated to Kotlin now. Uh, what's actually also an alternative possibility and arguably more likely is uh, he's feeling a bit under the weather these days, and he's been traveling all over the world and has lots more traveling all over the world to do. And we were having such difficulty coordinating our schedules that he basically said, just get somebody potentially who's uh, going to speak at the upcoming Great Conf in Europe, and we'll just go from there. And of course, I immediately thought of Ryan. Now, how do you, how do you pronounce your last name correctly? Uh, Vanderwerf. Just like it looks. Yep. Yep, it's three I mean, words like, in Dutch, van der Werf, which just means of the Werf, which is kind of like a construction site. Ah, I, I mean, because I thought it was three words for a while there. I mean, I learned better a while ago, but still. My great-grandfather just crammed it all into one word uh, to look more American, I guess, when he came across the, the pond. Well, we definitely want to talk about GreyConf, but we can save that uh, for a little bit. First of all, you might as well do a roundup of some of the news. Now, it's been a while since our last podcast, roughly a month. We try to do these roughly every three weeks. But um, again, we've had difficulty coordinating schedules and stuff. But I do have a list here. And as always, the links are in the show notes, which are on the uh, Git on GitHub under, of all places, Peter Ledbrook's account, pledbrook slash groovy podcast. Uh, that's where they've always been. Maybe we should consider moving them somewhere else. But at any rate, consider that still a tribute in some way to Peter Ledbrook. The first thing I wanted to note, of course, is that we've got a couple of new releases. Uh, Groovy has released a couple of uh, bug fix releases, 2.4.10 and 2.4.11. They've done some documentation updates as well. I have not noticed any major significant fundamental changes in either of those. Have you moved up to either of those yet? Um, I'm I'm on uh, let's see one project I'm on where he's still using uh, one one of them is using two four nine and one's using two four ten but that's just because it's tied to those versions of Rails that I have projects in. Right. I've noticed that 
upgraded from the older versions is the syntax checking is much better, and I'm finding bugs in older code that were ambiguous that could cause unpredictable results that it catches now, which is nice. Well, that's interesting. Uh, I know it's not in order here, but just as, as to anticipate one of the things we're going to talk about, you know, Daniel's son has done all this work on the Parrot parser. Yeah, and, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because that apparently is going to give us full Java 8 syntax support, but even some Java 7 things that I didn't realize we didn't have. Like, did you realize that we couldn't do try with resources in Groovy? You know, I just never tried. Yeah, so. it's funny. It's something I use on a irregular basis, but not infrequently in Java, you know? And it just never occurred to me that it wasn't available in Groovy, and I guess it just hadn't come up, you know? Because there's so many Groovy things with files that just automatically open and close. I hadn't really worried about it. Mm -hmm. But at least that will be supported in the new syntax. The oh. Java 8 syntax, right now, if you want to do Groovy with Java 8, you just provide a closure wherever the API is expecting a functional interface, you know, a provider or a supplier or something like that. Um, but now we'll have the actual Lambda syntax, the method reference syntax, and the other features that I hadn't quite realized were missing, we will be able to put default and static methods and interfaces as well. Nice. I didn't realize it, I guess. I don't generally use interfaces that often in Groovy, you know, because it's so easy to just add methods to classes, and you don't need an interface in order to have a reference that allows you to invoke the proper method. So I guess it hadn't come up again that often, but that's that's probably just me. I don't want to generalize from anecdotal evidence, as they say. Yeah, they're there for documentation purposes. <laughs> yeah. Now, of course, it's a those static and default methods actually are very useful, and, and I think when this actually comes out, and presumably in Groovy 3, then we'll definitely spend some time talking about that. I got the sense, and again, I don't have any inside information, or rather, I haven't asked anybody yet. I'm just guessing. I get the sense there's going to be a 2.6 release or 2.5 release. Definitely a 2.5. There may, in fact, be a 2.6 as well before we hit 3. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll find out when we get closer to that, and then we'll try to see if we can get somebody from the core team who might want to talk about it on the podcast. Uh, now, of course, you spent a lot more time with Grails. Uh, for those who are not aware, uh, when did you actually join OCI, by the way? Uh, about a year and a half ago. It's been a year and a half already? Yeah, time flies, doesn't it? Yeah. So how's it going there? Good, good. I'm doing project work. I've been doing... Uh, uh, I have a guide in the hopper for Google Home um, that will, it's staged to go out uh, once we finish the editing process on that. Um, and uh, I went up to St. Louis uh, a couple weeks ago. I should have brought a raft. It, was, it had been raining for over two weeks there or something. Yeah. Um, and I did a, a, a talk on uh, the Alexa stuff at a meetup there, the local right. St. Louis meetup, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I also got to you know, go to the office there, which I don't get up there much. And, meet everybody it's really it's really a great group of people we're still adding people to the team it's keeps growing it's uh amazing we have lots of stuff to do and we're putting a lot of work into the framework documentation for it everything about how to make it better and really this trying to listen to the community for any kind of improvements we can do how many people are you up to on the team now at last i counted it was somewhere around 16 17 yeah, something like, like 15 or 16 at least yeah now, you did that talk on your, I mean, I, I always think of it as an Internet of Things talk, but it's not really that. It's, it's an Alexa talk, right, primarily? Uh, yes. 
So I, uh, it's a, that's an Alexa talk. And then uh, upcoming at Great Coffee U, uh, we'll have a Google Home talk, which is actually Google Actions, per se. Which oh. is, it goes across Google Assistant, really. Um, I have one of each. Actually, I've got an Echo. Oh, yeah, you know, I got one. <laughs> uh, I got one at DevNexus. It was uh, the speaker gift, basically. Oh, nice. a little Echo. Um, I hardly use it. I'm not sure exactly what to do with it, but I've got that one in one room in my house, and I have a Google Home in, in my office now. So I have to be very careful not to use the trigger phrase uh, unnecessarily, of course. But I have both, so I, I'll be very interested in hearing what you have to say, especially about the Google Home one. I think I've seen an early version of your Alexa talk. Okay, probably so. That's that's something that's evolving so quickly. Amazon's adding stuff continuously to functionality to it. it it's hard to keep up. They have a, they have things called library intents now. They've got uh, you know they've got the multiple languages. Uh, they've got a new messaging feature now. You can actually call people through it and message people. So yeah. I've had all friends pop up and send me messages all of a sudden through it, which is kind of bizarre. Did you hear uh, the controversy? I'm sorry. Yeah. No, hasn't bugged me yet. I'm surprised he hasn't actually. Did you hear the controversy about that one? Which one? The messaging? The phone capabilities over it. Have you heard about that? No. Um, I know there's no way to block people. So if someone yeah. decides they're going to like harass you, you basically have to shut the whole feature off. Yes, exactly. So so there, it was the problem that it does use your phone number, but only as an ID. It doesn't actually check to see if you have a block list or, or do not call or anything like that. A lot of your address book. Right, and as long as they have a person has your phone number and has the app installed, you can't stop them from calling you. And to me, this is just yet another illustration that there aren't enough women in this field. Because you can imagine, <laughs> I mean, seriously, this had to go through layers of management at Amazon, right, in order to release this as a major feature. And you just have to know there couldn't have been any women on those management layers because... They Somebody would have spoken yeah. up, right? No, I have worked with a woman that is at the management layer, uh, but she's on maternity leave right now, so uh. she got the pass that they maybe didn't get to ask her. Um, but I think they rushed that out as a quick response because Google came out with the ability to recognize voices to just do profiling, um, yeah. and that's a pretty big deal. And so I think they needed something quick to, to rebut um, and they just kind of threw that out maybe a little bit before it was ready. But I, I don't doubt they'll have updates that will refine that feature. It is it is pretty neat. Well, you I will can, accept that. You can call yourself and make it an intercom, too, around your house. you got multiple units. But anyway. That sounds interesting. And I will, I'm certainly willing to accept that, that you know a woman there. But that's almost as telling as to say, yeah, the one woman that we know of was out on maternity leave, and that's what meant nobody yeah. said anything. Well, it's a 50%. I've, I've, I've interfaced with two people there on that team. So, and one's guy and one's woman. So, that's it. That's pretty good. Except uh, that the result was not good. That's, I mean, I, I still think it's more of an indictment of their internal yeah. processes or, or hiring strategies. But regardless, I agree that they will obviously have to fix that because it was, it's pointed out to you, it's obvious, right? It's like, oh my goodness, we can't allow that to go on. So if you have a problem with it, you just got to turn that feature off. 
which is useless to them. So obviously they want it back on. And of course they'll have to release some kind of fix that'll make it so that you can add a block list or that you can import block lists from third parties or things like that. I imagine they won't be as slow to respond as Twitter has been, but somebody, you know, they'll do something about it. Yeah, the other controversy is that they're talking about injecting ads because currently there's no way for developers to make money. So <laughs> there's one company that's gone rogue has made an ad injection platform for Alexa skills. Really? They're basically violating the terms of service for the developer agreement. They're doing it anyway. So they're going to force Amazon to either A, put the smackdown on them and enforce it, or B, release something where maybe you could charge some money to add a skill, like a buck or something, like, a, like an app store. That you can charge for it. Um, that that may force their hand to do something because right now developers can't make any money uh, directly, and there's no way to charge. So and they don't allow ads technically, but people are starting to do it anyway. I know Google tried that very briefly. They had a thing where it injected a Moana right. uh, ad and something, and people just lost their minds. So yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to imply that Google or any of these other major tech giants are any more innocent than, than anybody else. But um, Amazon, you never know. And, and um, I do wonder about the fact that they have provided no mechanism for developers to make money. The problem I've seen with the Google Home development is that you're very restricted in what you can do. You really are using their platform mostly for voice recognition and responses. Is that a reasonable thing to say? Yeah, I mean, you can do a lot of the same stuff. And then, and what's cool about it is it works across the whole Google Assistant, right? So anything that's Google Assistant will work with. Uh, I think the approval process is maybe a little bit stricter as far as like reserved words that invoke your skill, because it, it does go into a, like a global dictionary. So once someone gets that phrase, it's taken. And it, it, when you read their policies, they seem pretty unfriendly to small people, and it's more catered towards large corporations making things, or the it's things themselves. Interesting. But you can still do quite a bit, and, and it's actually, the way the API works, it's it, 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 the ability to do some more advanced things, uh, but it doesn't make it harder to do basic things, too. So um, they've got that API AI company they've acquired, and it's got a okay. GUI platform. So it, it, it's still pretty complicated for someone to go in and try to make something even with that, because you have to understand a lot. Uh, I think the Alexa stuff's got the leg up on the developer. It's really easy to make stuff and crank it out quick. So The problem, the problem I've had with Google Home is that right now the only account that works is a Gmail account. I have my, my regular professional email address, which is not a Gmail address, but uses Gmail under the hood. It's just basically an alias and that's not acceptable to them. I can't use that account for them to tie into my calendar or any other feature. I have to use yeah. the Gmail account, and, and that's very frustrating right now. Yeah, I remember that we ran into a lot of problems like that with the Google Glass. Right. It was the, it was the same kind of issues, um, and I don't know if they, they don't have a lot of incentive to resolve that, unless it's a Google for Business account, maybe. Which I have, and it doesn't seem to matter, so I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe that works eventually. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Any rate, uh, you're going to be talking about some of those things at GreatConf in um, in Copenhagen. That's that's soon, right? That's the end of May. Yeah, it's it's coming up real quick. I'm finishing up our thirty first, June second, I think. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm co giving the talk with my friend Lee Fox. We have a little laboratory in his garage with a uh, high end projector and a big screen, and we code all hours of the night working on this stuff. 
Right. And um, we'll be presenting that talk. We're wrapping it up right now. Uh, we've also got a bunch of talks we're giving there. So I'm giving an, another Amazon um, kind of networking talk with Grails integrated. Um, and uh, there's some DevOps talks my buddy Lee's giving. And uh, we've got a workshop for Alexa, kind of a short workshop. It's a two session kind of stretch. So uh, we'll probably really get into just uh, Lambdas and Groovy. That's probably all we'll have time for. But you'll at least walk away doing having made something and being able to use it. Uh, another cool thing we're doing is um, I made a special skill. It's going to be a trivia game for the booth for OCI. And we're going to be giving away uh, a Google Home and two Google uh, Dots. Now, uh, Amazon dots. And uh, we're going to have a little trivia game. We're going to have two of the dots on one end of the table and the other. And whoever can score better with Star Wars trivia can uh, get a chance to win something. If you so, add Jar Jar questions, people should get points for not answering those, right? <laughs> I believe there is a Jar Jar question in there. There's a... <laughs> only one, though. I, I still haven't totally forgiven Lucas for all of that, but at any rate. Uh, sounds like fun, though. I, I think Jeff Brown's going to do his. Uh, one day Grails training, right? It is. There also do training there, and they've just started also doing a virtual training, so you can do it online uh, and kind of get time with them and not have to travel, which could be a big deal for a lot of people around the world if they want to get, you know, hands-on training and it's too expensive to travel. So that that's a really cool thing that they're starting to do as well. Now I feel obligated to mention. I hate to compete with that, but I feel obligated to mention. I've. Uh, through O'Reilly, through the Safari account, we've now released uh, four Grails 3 videos. Awesome. Yeah, that basically start with building up a Grails project and working on the controllers and the domain model and the services and talking about RESTful web services and, and testing and all kinds of things there. So if you, if you have a Safari account, they're already on there. They're going to put a learning path together with the whole sequence. If you're interested in general, it's at shop.oreilly.com, and, and they're all available now. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Again, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't say don't go see Jeff. I mean, obviously, anything Jeff says is valuable. <laughs> if, you're, if you're interested, we now have these videos about. I think the more stuff like this that is the better, and it just gets the word out and it gets people more educated. Especially something on O'Reilly brings a lot of credibility. I think mm. to a lot of these platforms. And you're so, going to write a Grails three book, right? You're the one. Not me. No, that's uh, Eric Helgerson. Yes, I know. I'm just every time I talk to an OCI person, I try to do a little bit more prodding on that. Uh, Eric's apparently making progress on that book. I expect it will get uh, another release. I don't know when, but relatively soon, I would guess. So far, it looks like it's making progress, but I'm I'm certainly not one to certainly not complain or criticize anyone for taking a while to writing a book. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed. I've got this uh, full beard going now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I told my wife that, uh, you know, I've got, I'm working on a book now, this Modern Java Recipes book. Did, did, okay. I don't know if you're aware. Uh, it's available in, in early release form from O'Reilly. Oh, great. It's all about the new features in Java 8 and 9, you know, the, the streams and lambdas and method references and the date time functionality and all, all that, you know, optional and everything. I told my wife that I wasn't going to shave until I finished the draft of that book. <laughs> uh, or or Trump got impeached. Either one, you know, I'd take either one. Okay. Uh, but I'm I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make it because eventually she'll put her foot down and go. That's enough, you know. 
uh, I'm swimming in completable futures these days, trying to figure out not just how they work. It's not hard to figure out how they work. It's figure out what's the right way to use them. What are the right use cases? How do I really understand this stuff? Uh, yeah. The concurrency chapter is one that I kept putting off because I knew it was going to be a, a real challenge, and it turns out I was right about that. So, <laughs> yeah, you're gonna end up with a rumble still skin beard. Yeah, well, it, it, there's a chance, you know. As I say, sooner or later, she's going to go. Okay, that's it. Stop, you know. And you got to pick your battles, as you know. You've been married a long time as well, so. Yep. I think you understand. Uh, I've got a no fluff event in Dallas next week, the no fluff dress right. conference. So I expect that some of my some of the people I know will be remarking on this and there'll be pointed questions about when I'm going to get done just so I cut this thing down to size or whatever. Something like that. <laughs> when is the Austin one? Um, actually, I can I can check that. Uh, the If I just go to nofluffjeffstuff.com and I look at the schedule, I know it's coming up. Austin is July 7th through 9th, turns oh. out. So we've got Dallas, and then the next thing is the Gradle Summit. So I'll be at the Gradle Summit at the end of June. Uh, that's when uh, a lot of Gradle 4 is coming out soon with enormous performance improvements and, and oh. the build cache and the, all kinds of really nice features. And the, all that will be at the Gradle Summit. I think they're going to have a big Android track as well. People be there from Netflix and LinkedIn and all the major uh, users of Gradle. Then the Austin No Fluff Conference is in is July 7th through 9th, and then we go on for the rest of the of the schedule. Now, speaking of Grails, the releases that happened be between the last podcast and now, uh, Grails 3.2.8 came out, followed shortly thereafter by 3.2.9. Now, I'm, I'm leaving out the fact that they released 3.3 Milestone 1, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest deal as far as new stuff. Do you want to say anything about the, the Milestone release? Um, yeah, so we fixed the uh, you know there's a lot of things fixed about um, doing injection dependency injection around domain objects and things like that. So Gren's rewritten a lot of that code. Uh, there's some pretty significant fixes in there around that stuff um, that uh, are not going to be backported to three two because it's a lot of there was a lot of stuff rewritten and it's from what I understand a pretty tall order to do that. Mm. So uh, it's going to be kind of a leap forward as far as what you can do with dependency injection on domain objects and things like that, um, and uh, possibly a uh, bunch of new features as well. Uh, when you say I'm glad to see it broken out to 3.3 because we've been definitely getting some changes in the 3.2 uh, later series here where some of them have been breaking stuff uh, or breaking changes. So. When you say dependency injection with domain objects, do you mean injecting into domain objects or injecting domain uh, objects and other things? Yeah, so you, so they changed it uh, in the in the later three two series where it, it doesn't do that by default, doesn't even let you. And and then there's some uh, barbs around that where you can enable it globally or select, uh, but it can be only globally. Uh, but you can't really selectively do it. Um, because there's something broken and there's some bugs in there that were fixed in 3.3. Three. So, what do you mean you yes. can't inject, say, a service into a domain object? Is that what you're saying? Uh, by default, it wouldn't auto-inject for you. And that is uh, because it is a, bit a performance hit. So the recommended path is to, to not do that. But I see a lot of people put all kinds of stuff in domain objects, like basically the entire service layer <laughs> in the domain object. And 
that's not a good design. I mean, that's what the no. service layer is for, right? I mean, the idea is to put your domain objects in the service layer where they can be transactional and everything and, and do the work I, there, right? I see clients, you know, struggle with some of that and we have we work on projects to refactor it for them and um, they get all kinds of transactional, prop, you know, quagmires where there's multiple sessions going concurrently because things are can get deadlocked and uh, yeah, don't do that. Put everything in services, please. <laughs> So it's not like you're really taking a capability away. You're encouraging a better design model that goes back to the layered model we've been using in Java for. Yeah, it just, you know, sometimes like those things burn people where they're doing upgrades, right? They're doing. They may have a project with a bunch of jinky stuff like that, and then they upgrade. And they're like, oh my gosh, everything stopped working. Uh, you know, that's the part that gets a little tough. But um, yeah, we're trying to encourage better behavior. I know in the past we've a lot of examples haven't necessarily been the case where they've encouraged the best practices. Um, so there's definitely a concerted effort by the team to make examples with good practices. And that's part of the point of the Grills guides and things like that, where we're showing the best way to do things. And an example you can actually walk through that makes sense. It's not just a documentation page. Those Grails guides have been growing at a rapid rate. They, I mean, that's Sergio Delamont. Yeah, he's done a ton of work on the Grails guides. He's been like shepherding them through for, he's done a lot himself. He's been helping shepherd ones that other people have done to help get him through the editing process to get published. Um, yeah, he's the Grails Guides guy. He's it's been wonderful with that. Yeah, we uh, over at Gradle, we're putting together Gradle Guides, and several of them have been released, but right now we're going through a redesign effort on the homepage for that, so that ultimately, and of course, in order to figure out what the Grails Guides homepage ought to look like, we looked at the, I said it wrong again, twice. In order to decide what the Gradle Guides homepage is gonna look like, we looked at the Grails Guides homepage and at the Spring Guides homepage. And we've come up with a design somewhat similar, you know, complementary to those. That redesign hopefully will be done. We'll have a revised page by the end of this month, but presumably that'll be a topic for the next uh, Groovy podcast. We have, uh, I believe the Grails Guides, you can get to them. And there's the template. It's it's a ASCII doctor based Gradle thing mm. uh, that you can author everything in, and then it'll spit them out. Um, and then there's a button that says improve the doc, right? So people can help submit the quality if they find something that they found not to be the case where we think it was. So well, that should make it much easier for external people to contribute. That's a good right. idea. And just get that feedback, right? That mm. nothing isn't right. You know, we want to know about it. The other Grails thing I saw that happened recently was that they they made GSPs a separate project. Yeah. Yeah, so that's now at gsp.grails.org. And I didn't expect that. I mean, it makes sense to have a separate view layer set of documentation, especially because if you make a Grails app that's based just a RESTful web service, you don't need a view layer at all. But still, that's a very interesting change. I did notice, of course, that in the documentation, they kept referring to Grails server pages instead of Groovy server pages. And uh, I'm trying to figure out if that's intentional or not. Uh, I don't think it is. I tweeted something about it, but I never heard anything back. I'm probably going to have to contact Sergio to say, did you do this on purpose? Was this a, are you trying to make some global statement here? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't read too much into it. It's probably nothing, nothing there. It's just everything's always been a concerted effort. Uh, Graham and the team have put a lot of work on breaking things out, so you can use some of these hmm. things about Grails and other systems if you want. Just like, like you can, just like you yeah. can now use GORM inside a Spring Boot, for example. 
absolutely or in command line stuff or whatever so or rat pack too even a command line i didn't realize you could use it with a command line i figured you need transactions somewhere right yeah you can put in anything it says it isn't dependent on grails in any way it doesn't have to be okay so. um the only other thing i have on the list that's specifically regarding grails is uh the grails keynote that graham roche gave at greech in uh, madrid last month or was it maybe a couple months ago uh, yeah at any rate we have a link to that but that's really a segue into mentioning that the there's now a playlist of presentations from greech and that that youtube playlist is rather extensive there are many different talks on there i didn't actually count but if you're interested in any of the talks at greech it's very likely on pardon me on that playlist somewhere yeah there, there's a really quality videos the uh, team that did that they do an excellent job and they got them out pretty quickly hmm. pretty clear um there's now, graham graham's going to give a another grails keynote at great conf in the u.s i believe yes so well, he a few of the team members had conflicts, so they couldn't make it to the EU, but they're, they're wow. going to make it to the US. So, uh, yeah, that'll be good. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was talked about by Graham at uh, Greach, a lot of stuff around GORM and all those improvements. Uh, the data services layer for testing can make testing things so much easier and faster. Uh, Bert Beckwith had a great keynote that was pretty entertaining where he had a little plant special kind of plant in a little raspberry pie growing pod thing. I, I guess that's legal to do in Boston. I don't... <laughs> I think it was pretty funny though. There's a, been a recent uh, Grails, there was a tweet about it. I don't know if it's a new guide or something, but now they have annotations to make multi-tenancy handled much more easily. Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of progress in multi-tenancy. Uh, I think we've gotten feedback from clients and. Uh, there's been improvements there as well uh, that there's different ways you know like a lot of people have different perspective of what multi-tenancy even is right mm -hmm. so you try we try to support a few versions of that because that was something that I've been asked about many times there was an old grails plugin that wasn't very good and people were wanting to do that and it ended up being the answer was always kind of roll your own and now yeah. that's not necessary anymore and you've got a lot more protections for goofing stuff up and leaking client data between you know clients is less of a concern than it was when you did it yourself. So that's uh, great stuff. Yeah, I'm one of those people who had not encountered that problem, but it's one of those problems that once you hit it, it's very uh, challenging. And now, of course, Grails has made it easy again. So that's that's really something to look forward to. On the uh, issue of persistence, even if not necessarily relational persistence, there's a new Groovy library for GraphQL, the, the one that works with graph-like databases called apparently GQL. Yeah, so, so a friend of mine's been bugging me about this for a couple of years. He was saying he was going to wanted to do a talk on it, and he thought it would be too obscure and weird. But he claims that's the future, this uh, GraphQL over traditional REST type of services where you have this query interface <coughs> that's online. And so that way you don't need you you can have it used in ways that the developer didn't envision that the front end people can access it with. So it's more than just using Neo4j on the back end or something like that. It's no, it's the that. way you query it. So instead of a traditional like REST type of implementation where you've got set calls that the developer is hard coded, right? Get okay. this object uh, by whatever, and then the developer has to think, and the project guy has to think about all the th different things they're going to implement. You can instead with uh, this graph query stuff, you can 
<coughs> have a query interface where they can query in different ways that the developers or the product guy may not have really thought of. So it's like kind of an open-ended way to get the data back for a front-end developer. So the front-end people kind of like this concept, uh, and that way you don't have to, you know, code every permutation of a way of getting data back from a REST service back. But it's it's not a replacement for REST. It's really just the way you talk to it. Wow, I really misinterpreted that. I'm going to have to take a look at that, have take a look at that link and see if I can understand how they did that. Uh, that's that's interesting. I thought it was just a, a front end on a graphical database, and that's not it at all. Okay. A uh, couple other releases. Uh, Spock finally came out with 1.1. That's great. That's big. Yep. I went through the documentation today. I didn't see anything radically different than what was in 1.0. They, they now appear to have uh, spies working pretty well. I think they've got a couple of new features around the edges, but nothing really dramatic that I saw. Have you done anything with any of that? Um, there was a couple of things here. Um, I don't have them in front of me that I thought were pretty good. Um, see if I can find it. But um, the, the, I know like the spies were ex, you know considered experimental, and it said kind of beware of using them in the documentation. Well, the single-page documentation. If you go to SpockFramework.org, okay, there's yeah, a patch mocks is a big thing. Pardon uh, me? And, um, they have a, a, a in 1.1 they have detached mocks you can do, and then um, you can also uh, it, that helps you can mock spring beans like a thousand times easier they claim. Mm. And then there's a verify all method. Those are specific things that jumped out at me that were big improvements. Yeah, if I just look at the 1.1 release notes, I, I don't see. I see a lot of bug fixes. I don't see a lot of the uh, new information like you're discussing. So hopefully somebody will put together a a blog a blog post to describe some of these additional features. I noticed the pending feature annotation, which is different. You know, instead of saying ignore on a test, you could put pending feature on a test. And here's the funny part: if the test passes, the assertions pass inside the test then you get a failure because it's it's basically uh, Spock's way of telling you it's not pending anymore. The thing worked. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So in other words, you're looking for a failure there for pending feature to allow it to pass, if you will, or be ignored. But it's better than just having an ad ignore and, and never work on a given test. This is a way to know that, oh, hey, this is working now. I can take the pending feature annotation off of the test there. Yeah, that's very cool. I know that a lot of people, I, I've met a few that hate ignore so much, they actually do code scans and fail builds if people have, have added ignore blocks on tests. You're kidding. I think you're copping out on stuff uh, because, oh, this thing broke, I'll just ignore it, right, move on, and, and that's not necessarily the right thing to do, but trying except, to enforce it. Except that'll encourage people to just comment out a test or, or delete the test entirely. Uh, well, I think they kind of want people to delete a test. That way, if it's not needed anymore, it's not in there. So kind of rough. But There's that, a lot of opinions on how good of an idea that is. But Well, if we're going to mention Spock, then what we have to mention, by the way, well, yes. Rob Fletcher's book is finished, right? Spock. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think it's early access, right? Well, yeah, but all the chapters are done. It's complete. So it's I think it's now in the production process. Oh, really? If you check it out, I, yeah, I think all the all the chapters are now available. Uh, I got to uh, see an early release version of it, and it, it's, boy, this is, 
I mean, I don't want to, I haven't read it in great detail, but I'm still going to go with the hyperbole here. This isn't the best book on Spock I've read. It's the best book on testing of any kind that I've ever seen. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, it's remarkable. And he's got chapters on everything from spring to rest to testing JavaScript of all things. I mean, there's just everything in there. And it's, it gives you everything you ever wanted to know about this stuff. I, I hope to clear out some time on my schedule to really dig into that. I yeah, was very sounds, impressed. Sounds like a must-own book. There's been a lot of people do things wrong in Spot because there's not a lot of good examples out there. I see it all the time. Where people think they're doing it the right way and they're it's because they just didn't know any better and so having a book like this is gold now constantine capilonis has had that spock book out for a while the one that the spock in action or whatever they call it uh, yeah. manning this one is uh i don't want to say one's better than the other but i was certainly one's more recent than the other and it's sure. a very impressive book I, I really hope he does quite well with it and that it, it really helps spock break through into the mainstream a bit more mm -hmm. Now, uh, on that side as well, um, Ivan Lopez uh, Martin, of course, uh, gave a talk on Spock, test your Java applications with Spock at Java Day Istanbul. And I was all excited to look at the slides. It turned out when I looked at the slides, there are like five slides. So really the heart of the talk is the code. Well, got, yeah. Yeah, it, it's got good stuff in the in the GitHub repo. And I put a link to both of those in the in the show notes. Okay, so that brings us to a couple of uh, Gradle-related things. The um, Gradle site plugin was released uh, by uh, Skull Cronje. He's working with me at Gradle on the, on the guides and everything. And there's always been a lot of questions about the right way to build plugins. And, and I don't want to use the term best practices, but common recommendations about how you might go about doing that. And this Gradle site plugin is a, it's a so-called useful real-world example for how you might go about designing and creating Gradle plugins. There are also uh, links on the documentation documentations page at Gradle on mm -hmm. recommended recommended practices for plugins as well. So that's, that's one. Again, I'll have more to say about that another time. Uh, also, the John Engelman Shadow plugin released version 2.0.0. What I didn't happen to see is if there was anything different in there or new that I was not already aware of. Uh, it says there are a bunch of breaking changes, but they didn't look to be things that I had never that I'd used a lot or going to cause me any trouble. Do you ever use the Shadow plugin? I do. Um, I use it for. Um, the groovy lambdas for the Alexa stuff. So I've got a, there's a lazy bones template that spits out a project. It's a Gradle based project with groovy and everything in it. And it's mm -hmm. a fat jar of all the dependencies. So I can upload that to the Lambda for Amazon. Um, but I just use the most basic features of it. And I didn't notice any problems either, but I'm not doing the fancy bits in it. But it's good to see that that's out and available now. That you know, you keep using the term lambda, and I always have to remember that you're talking about Amazon lambdas, which is their function as a service, as opposed to Java eight lambdas, which are like groovy closures. Yep. So the question then, of course, is: Do lambdas run on lambdas? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Any rate, moving on. Uh, HTTP Builder NG, the next generation of HTTP Builder has a new version out with better exception handling. There's a handful of new features and they revamped the user guide as well. 
Uh, I keep planning to get to that, to actually dig in and, and use that as a REST client. I just haven't had a chance yet, but I've heard good things. People seem to be, the people who have used it, I think, um, I think Baruch has tried it out and has been very happy with it. Very good. Okay, uh, Jeb as well, the GEB, our, our wonderful little browser automation mechanism, has a brand new website. They've redesigned it. Uh, it's got a, a very nice look and feel now, updated some documentation as well. Jeb, I feel, is another one of those under-recognized Groovy-based projects. I mean, there are so many people I know out there who do Selenium testing that would just welcome Jeb if they had a chance to really dig into it, just because yeah. it's so cleared. Oh, and by the way, of course, in um, the Spock Up and Running book, there's a whole chapter on testing with Jeb as well. Oh, that's great. Yes. Yeah, I, was, I, was at, I attended a good talk uh, at Breach. Um, I think it was Marcin Erdman did it uh, right. Jeb, and that was a really, uh, really good talk. I did get a chance to, to try to convince a QA person. It wasn't really a you know, groovy programmer or anything like that to give it a shot. And I kind of walked through how it all worked. And he, he was pretty impressed with it. Um, I, he said it I would know. definitely help him out quite a bit. So I know that um, Marcin's talk at Greech is one of those that, that's in the playlist uh, for the Greech videos at YouTube. So that, that talk is definitely available. The other library that came out recently is something I've been really hoping for for a while. Uh, it's one of those ones where you think, well, I could do it, but I don't really want to. It sounds like work, you know. What I mean? uh, there's a library called Good Times, which is the groovy enhancements to the Java 8 date and time API, something we've needed for a while. I mean, in, in the groovy JDK, you have advancements to date and calendar, but, of course, the new Java 8 date time API based on... Um, uh, the open source library. Oh, I'm blanking on it. You know what it is, um, right? Uh, Jota time, right? Oh yeah. Uh, any rate, that that's that's now built into Java, and it'd be yeah. nice to have the groovy enhancements. And this Good Times library looks to me, I, again, I've only read through the documentation, but it looks like all the stuff you're hoping for is now in there, you know, and that's that's really good news. Okay. Uh, the other stuff that we have in here, I've got to mention there's a blog post called TDD with Spock, Groovy, and Java by, um, I, I, I hesitate to try to pronounce his name, uh, it's definitely Polish, uh, Radoslav uh, Skupmik, or whatever, S-K-U-P-M-I-K, uh, talking about test-driven development, that's, that's another blog post. It's always good to see somebody who isn't normally part of the community uh, contribute something that we can, you know, give a little signal boost to. That's great. We've got a blog post by Sergio Delamo, which was a translation of Daniel Sun's original post in Chinese about preview, previewing Groovy 3. So, again, that's stuff that's coming. And then there was the somewhat controversial one. Did you see that Business Insider article? No. What are you talking about? Did you hear about that? Oh, yeah. Somebody decided to write an article. It's called, this is the title, Learn Any of These 16 Programming Languages and You'll Always Have a Job. Okay, and it's this was published at the beginning of May. It's like May 7th on here, and they list a whole bunch of programming languages, and whenever Groovy shows up on a list like that, people are like, oh, isn't that nice, you know? Let's uh, go ahead and uh, take a look, and oh, they're not going to let me do it, are they? Huh. I have to turn off my ad blocker. I can't read the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the article. 
Well, so much for that. Goodbye. Uh, any rate, when I looked at it, I mean, I'm glad to see Groovy on the list, obviously, but you know, PHP's on the list and Pearl's on the list. And by golly, I think uh, Objective C, even though now we've got Swift, of course, Objective C is on the, you know, in other words, you There's get still a lot of C programming jobs I see out there. Well, sure. But I mean, honestly, the most people using Objective C were iPhone programmers, right? iOS people. I think there's a lot of big companies. They're just slow to change anything, you know? Well, that's like saying, go ahead and code in COBOL and you'll always have a job. It may be. Sure. It doesn't mean you want to or you'll love life. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't have that with PHP, right? But that it doesn't feel like that's worthy of saying, oh, wow, here's this wonderful, you know, to me, this is somebody who doesn't really have a connection to IT trying to survey what the, you know, what, what code bases have the most lines of code in them or something. I, 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 it's not necessarily a list that I would be eager to be on necessarily. That's true. But if for what it is, PHP, then, yeah. yeah, if you're willing to pay them their dollar or turn off your ad blocker, I have a link to the article on there and just thought I'd mention it. I guess it beats being homeless. <laughs> uh, I don't think I have anything else. Did you have anything that you wanted to mention that you haven't already? Uh, there was an interesting thing. I think it was Anise Davis put a tweet out about Converting all of your groovy Gradle plugins into Kotlin. Uh, well, she was, didn't convert them all. She did one. Okay, I yeah, know. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a guide on how you'd go about doing that. And yeah. I, was, I thought that was interesting. Now, Anise like, just kind of say. I mean, she's wonderful. I really like Anise, and she's an outstanding developer. And um, yes, yeah, she wrote an interesting article. She had written. Uh, video courses before. Now she had, I think she's got one on Safari, but she has a lot more at a site called caster.io. It's C-A-S-T-O-R.io. And that site focuses primarily on Android development, which is where she lives. She's really big in the yeah, Android community. Yeah. I think she spoke at GreatConf once. That's right. She was there last year. And yeah. she talked about writing Gradle plugins, which was wonderful, of course. And But she primarily focuses on the Android community and she has a whole series of uh, videos at caster.io on how to write a Gradle plugin, in addition to many other things she talks about. Yeah. So yes, she, like many other people, is learning Kotlin these days. And she did want to see how to convert a Gradle plugin to Kotlin. I can tell you that at Gradle, there's still a lot of support for the notion of, of using Kotlin, especially in plugins and mostly for the IDE support. Yeah. But I don't. I don't necessarily get the sense that it's the primary way to go. I get the sense that it's, hey, this is nice, and if IDE integration is your best thing, and by the way, if we can get JetBrains to do all this work for us, we might as well support it. You know? uh, but sometimes I feel like I am a bit of a voice in the wilderness trying to say, well, wait a minute, Groovy rocks, and it's, it's really good, and you don't have to leave all that. Um, but let me not, I mean, it, her blog post is excellent. It really is good. Kotlin's a very good language. I, again, I don't have any problem with it, but I don't necessarily want to encourage people to say, "Yeah, you should be taking your grail, your groovy plugins and converting them to Kotlin necessarily," unless you have an additional reason beyond the fact that Kotlin is rising in popularity. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I just there was just something I glanced across that I thought that was interesting. Um, but you're absolutely right. I we probably should add it to the show notes anyway, except that. Baruch will give us some negative feedback, of course, but you know maybe that's not a bad <laughs> well, thing. I'll right? for Baruch, Colin can then, you know, so I can <laughs> get that out of the way. 
it will be inevitable, yes. And, you know, it's probably good to give Brooks something to complain about anyway, especially because I'm now growing a beard that's eventually going to rival his anyway, right? <laughs> there you go. Okay, I think that's everything. Anything else, or are we good? Uh, I think we're good. Yeah, we'll see uh, people at uh, Great Comfy U here in a couple of weeks, those that are going. Yep, let's do the marketing stuff, right? Great Comfy U is in Copenhagen, May 31st to June 2nd. Great yep. Comfy U.S., is in Minneapolis from July 26th to 28th. I believe they still have the, uh, what do you call it, doorbuster, whatever, the real early registration on that. I, I think that goes away very soon. I think it might have just ended. Today? Uh, but you can get tickets still for both. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's still have an early bird, even if they don't have the doorbuster or whatever. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I have to thank No Fluff Just Stuff for doing some website hosting for us. You can always go to nofluffjuststuff.com slash groovypodcast to see the YouTube videos as well as the uh, embedded um, audio feed as well. Yep, and once you upload the MP3 to Podbean, it'll be available on Alexa. So you just yep. say, yeah, did you podcast to play the latest episode, and there it'll, it'll, this one will pop up. Did you figure out how to get it to play on Google Home? I still haven't been able to do that. Uh, I haven't tried, to be honest. <laughs> I'm just figuring out everything I need for my talk, and then we'll make fancy things later. Well, that should be part of your talk, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, uh, well I'll get there. I just need to build up. We want to thank uh, the Gra Grail's Diary for coming back after a bit of a hiatus there as well. Uh, so that's great to see that. And, of course, the Groovy Calamari has a lot of information, including some stuff on the Grail's 3.3 milestone release, I believe. Yep. Yeah, so, he just put out a new edition of that. Exactly, and uh, did a very good job. I think I actually have it handy here. Uh, he did a great CompuU ticket giveaway, and he also mentioned about the Good Times Library and some Grails and uh, talking about database transactions and Hibernate sessions as well, a few other things as well. So that's always good to see. And I think that's pretty much everything. So uh, yeah. I'm glad you were available for this. Thank you very much for coming. I hope you have a great time at, at uh, GreatConf. I will. And all we right. look forward to hearing more about uh, all the mechanisms that you use to play with Alexa and Google Home and any other device that happens to come along. Yep, we'll see what comes out next. Maybe there'll be an Apple one or a Microsoft one. Yeah, be, you hold your breath on that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very right. much. You take care.